Heavenly Father, thank you for the, uh, your word, and we pray that as we have the opportunity to reflect on it together this morning, uh, you would indeed bless us through it. Uh, speak to us in a fresh way, we pray, uh, through truths which for many of us will be familiar, and we pray that your spirit would be impacting our hearts and continue to speak to us in a living and active way through your word uh, for our benefit and for your glory. Amen. When we look back over the canvas of history, some crushing victories stand tall. In 216 BC, Hannibal destroyed an entire Roman army at the Battle of Carini. In 1876, a bit closer to our time, the Sioux and the Cheyenne Indians totally wiped out the 7th Cavalry under the command of Custer. Uh, these were both examples of crushing military victories. In both the 2006 and 2013, uh, the Australians won the Ashes series 5-0. Uh, yet more examples of crushing victories. Sadly, there are as of yet no occasions in which England have won the series 5-0, but there's no harm in dreaming. Now, the first promise that we are looking at in this series concerns a future crushing victory over evil, and it occurs in Genesis chapter 3. Look again at verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Now, I know that you are familiar with the background. Uh, the world has been created, and God is residing in the garden with his little family, Adam and Eve. And God has just one rule for his family. Uh, there is a single command on which they are called to trust him. They are not to eat from a certain tree. And yet, of course, they rebel. And with the encouragement of a serpent, they eat from the tree. Uh, we're going to reflect on the further on the identity of the serpent later. But the consequences are catastrophic. Uh, God's judgment falls. And there is specific judgment for the man and the woman and the serpent. Uh, this is not a mythical account. This is not how snakes lost their legs. No, this is how the world lost its legs. And this accounts for the suffering and the brokenness of our world. Yet within the bleak words of God's pronounced judgment comes this unexpected glimmer of hope. Uh, Genesis 3 verse 14, we'll start a little bit further back. So the Lord God said to the serpents, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, uh, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Uh, you can imagine Adam and Eve blinking through tear-filled eyes. Uh, I'm sorry, what did you say? You mean this is not the end? You mean the serpent can be crushed? You mean that the damage is not irreparable? Uh, God's promise of a crusher kindles hope 
and longings, both in their hearts then and in our hearts now. Uh, to different extents and at different times, we all feel the weight of living in a fallen, fractured world. And 2020 has brought that home all the more clearly. Uh, we experience a sense of dissatisfaction with life. We yearn for release from the heartache. We desire a closer walk with God. There is this longing for healing and for wholeness. In short, it's the ache for a return to Eden. Uh, C.S. Lewis puts it like this. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And so, the promise of a serpent crusher gives us hope of a better world. It points forward to a crushing victory over evil and the prevailing of God's goodness. Uh, today, we're going to see four ways in which the promise of a crusher feeds our longings for a better world. Uh, firstly, the longing for someone to crush the effects of the rebellion. Uh, secondly, the longing for somebody to crush the father of the rebellion. Thirdly, the longing for somebody to crush the penalty of the rebellion. And fourthly, the longing for someone to crush the presence of the rebellion. That, of course, is the presence of in our hearts. So, effects, father, penalty, presence. And let's look at the first of those, the longing for somebody to crush the effects of the rebellion. Uh, God's judgment is the consequence of rebellion. Uh, God's judgment doesn't just fall on Adam and Eve and the serpents, it engulfs the whole of the creation. Uh, God promised, if you eat of it, you will surely die. And that's what starts to happen. As Roman five, Romans 5 soberingly summarizes in verse 12, sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. Of course, it wasn't just the death of the body, although that will come in due course. It was the death and deterioration in every sphere of life. It was the death of good human relationships. Adam and Eve start hiding from God, and they start wrestling with each other for control. It was the de death of a harmonious relationship with the natural world. Uh, now Adam and Eve are fighting the planet for every meal. Life is hard, and life is frustrating. Uh, the animal kingdom is affected. Uh, verse 14, uh, cursed are you above all all the livestock, and all the wild animals. So all the animals will experience the curse. But of course, there will be special enmity between snakes and people. Uh, how many of the world's deadliest snakes does Australia have? I think it's 10. Any advance on 10? Where we go. I was uh, I'll upgrade my 10 to 19 or 20. Thank you, Angela. There we go. Just a reminder of the effect of God's curse on the creation. So, the longing is for somebody to come and overturn the effects of our rebellion. And that longing grows as biblical history unfolds. 
Uh, Isaiah, the prophet, provides this wistful glimpse of a new creation that sounds strange and surreal to our ears. He says this, uh, the infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Do you see? One day, God will retain the creation. And when Jesus walks onto the stage of human history, what do we see? Jesus demonstrates that he has the power to crush all the effects of our rebellion. Jesus heals the sick. Jesus calms the storm. Jesus raises the dead. And all, of course, with a word. It seems like the new creation is here. But then the serpent strikes, and even Jesus succumbs to the effects of our rebellion. Jesus suffers pain and loss. Jesus suffers sadness and accusation. And Jesus suffers torture and death. True, Jesus is resurrected back to life, yet for us, death still remains. And so the longing remains. We still long for a return to the garden. We yearn for the effects of the rebellion to be removed and reversed. And we pine for the day of God's cosmic press release foretold in Revelation 21. Uh, verse 3. Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more pain, no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the older of things has passed away. So the promise of Genesis 3 verse 15 has not yet been completely fulfilled, but it will be. And so we long for the return of the crusher. The second longing is for somebody to crush the father of the rebellion. Of course, we know that the serpent is not just a serpent. Uh, Revelation 12 verse 9 uh, provides this expose. It says this, The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Uh, this makes clear that the serpent is a spiritual being. Satan is an angel in rebellion who has invited others to join him. And it means that there is a spiritual battle going on. But who is this battle between? At Genesis 3 verse 15 again. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. There is a spiritual enmity between the woman's offspring and Satan's. But that's not, not between people and demons. Who are Satan's offspring? Well, everybody in rebellion like him. 
Remember in John chapter 8, Jesus says this to the murderous religious authorities. He says this, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan is a father figure. Satan is the head of a family consisting of people duped by his lies. And just like with Eve, Satan says, did God really say? Uh, he kindles doubt in God's word and casts aspersions on God's goodness. Satan is the proud father of a family of deceived rebels. So when we read in Genesis 3, we don't just long for somebody to crush the effects of the rebellion, but also to crush the leader of the rebellion. When Jesus comes, Satan tries to hoodwink him in the desert, and yet Jesus resists the lure of Satan's lies. Jesus says to him, worship God and serve only him. But it's on the cross that Jesus achieves the crushing victory over Satan. Hebrews 2 verse 14 says this, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. The crusher comes and the crusher wins, but the battle continues. Uh, the Bible says that Satan is still at work in the world. Uh, he is like a fatally wounded lion prowling around, looking for somebody to devour. And so we do still have to pray. Heavenly Father, lead us not into temptation, but do deliver us from the evil one. There are times when we all feel the weight of that spiritual conflict. You know, don't you, the Christian life can be hard. And we long for the final crushing of the father of the rebellion. And the book of Revelation assures us that in the end, Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire. And so we do continue to pray, come Lord Jesus, come. Now the third longing is for somebody to crush the penalty of rebellion. When God gave Adam and Eve his law, uh, he also pronounced the penalty for breach of his law. Uh, when you eat of it, you will surely die. Uh, it's the serpent who tempts, but it's the people who sin. Uh, they doubt and disobey, and as a result, they receive the death sentence, the death of relationships, the death of their bodies, the spiritual death of separation from God. Genesis 3 verse 15 is not just a judgment. It's also a prophecy. It starts out in the plural. Uh, your offspring will be enemies, but then it switches to the singular. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. We know Jesus is the crusher. 
Not only does he crush the effects of rebellion and the father of rebellion, but also the penalty of rebellion. You see, Satan isn't just the father of lies. Satan is also the accuser of our souls. And Satan is a merciless prosecutor in God's cosmic court. He insists that God implements the death penalty for our breach of God's law without any clemency whatsoever. And yet on the cross, Christ takes on himself our death penalty. And in so doing, he puts an end to Satan's prosecution case. Colossians 2 puts it like this. Uh, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. The cross was a crushing defeat for Satan. He no longer had any legal hold over those who would trust in Christ. And the best Satan can now do is to get those who trust in Christ to try and doubt our salvation. Uh, The dark deceiver still tries to accuse us. Uh, When we sin and stumble, Satan taunts us. He says, how can God forgive you now? And of course, we have to ward him off with the gospel promise. We say to Satan, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For Jesus has crushed the penalty of our rebellion. And so, of course, we long for that final vindication. We yearn for the day when God says in person to each of us, not guilty, and crushes any last argument that Satan has against God's people. And finally, the longing for somebody to crush the rebellion in our hearts. Adam fell. Uh, He succumbed to the temptation uh, to doubt God's word and God's goodness. But in my nature, I am a descendant of Adam. Uh, I too am faced with the same temptation to doubt God's word and doubt God's goodness. Uh, Rebellion is in my DNA. Uh, The longing for inner renewal is interwoven throughout the Old Testament. King David himself cries in Psalm 51, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. God needs to create a new humanity with a new heart. And of course, that's what he does through Jesus. Uh, Romans chapter 5 talks about Jesus as the second Adam. And where the first Adam failed, Jesus, the second Adam, succeeded. Uh, Death entered the world through the first Adam, but life enters the world through the second Adam, Jesus. Grace crushes sin. And those who trust in Christ now 
have a new father. We are adopted into God's family. And yet my experience is that rebellion still lurks in my heart. Uh, My besetting sins won't die. I can relate all too well to, to the Apostle Paul's experience in Romans 7 when he says this. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Verse 24, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because there is a twist in the tale, isn't there? For those of us who are trusting in Christ, we are part of a new family. And we, therefore, are part of God's judgment on the serpent. Because in Christ, we are the seed God was talking about. We are part of the crusher family. And the power to resist Satan is now in our DNA thanks to the work of the indwelling Holy Spirit. And the New Testament tells us, resist the devil and he will flee from us. And so we do hold up the shield of faith and we extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. So that's us, uh, caught in the in-between of the two comings of the Christ. Uh, We do look back with confidence. The crusher has come. We look forward in longing to the crusher's return. And on that final day, sin and death will pass away and we will join Jesus in victory. And that's the note on which the letter to the Romans ends. It is indeed the fulfillment of Genesis 3 verse 15. It says this, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So as we embark on this new Advent season, we are again prompted to utter that heartfelt cry, come, Lord Jesus, come. I'm going to pray for us, and then I'll invite any comments or questions. Heavenly Father, thank you for this amazing promise fulfillment arc, which has a fulfillment in Christ's first coming, uh, which informs our minds and hearts and gives us power to live in the in-between, but also directs us to his second coming. Help us, therefore, to live with, as people of vision, as members of your family, the family which ultimately is part of that crushing of Satan as we resist him in your power. So please, we pray, strengthen us as we wait for the final return of the glorious crusher. Amen. Okay, are there any uh, 